How many of you know that if a veil is lying on our heart and someone wants to write on that heart of flesh, but there's something in the way, they cannot write on the heart of flesh. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online, and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. Is it good to be in the presence of God? (laughs) It is good to be in the presence of fellow believers who love Him. Because there's something that happens when we gather. Did you know that if you are a born-again believer, if you have given your life to Christ, the Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? All right. So now I want you to see in the spiritual realm what it must look like when all these temples in front of me, filled with the Holy Spirit, come together. And the same Holy Spirit that resides in you is the one that resides in me. Amen? So when we gather for church, there should be an amazing presence of the Holy Spirit. Always. We should be expectant of that. Do you see that picture? And together we are the church. We are the temple of Christ, the body of Christ. Do you see how these different scriptures start to line up? When you just think about it and meditate upon it, it's powerful. Amen. Sure. Amen, sister, brother, sister. Yes, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm excited about today. I am also nervous about today. When when God um, speaks to me and and shows me something that he, He wants to do, And my personal senses, my personal ideas of of what is possible, and it gets challenged, Um, it's it's hard. (laughs) And and I really felt this week that that God spoke and said that He wants this to be a Holy Spirit healing service. So today, we are focusing on His Holy Spirit. There's a reason why Jesus said to his disciples, I have to go so that the Holy Spirit can come. So, and, and this is where I think a lot of people who say they are Christians, they miss out on so much. There's two reasons why I believe born-again believers miss out on a lot. One, they don't get baptized because they haven't had the revelation that baptism is post-conversion. And there's, a regist- there's something that registers in the spirit. There's something that happens in the spirit when you get baptized. The second reason that they don't function in the fullness of what they can is because they don't understand the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit that they have access to. Those two reasons, if 
if, listen guys, if 78% of this nation confesses to be Christian and all of them one day wakes up and says, today I'm going to get baptized and I'm going to get filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm going to walk as the Holy Spirit leads me. Can you imagine how this nation can change? Why is it not happening? It's because the enemy has lied successfully to the broader church for, for hundreds of years. And we have fallen for it. And we, we're not going to do that. Amen? We're going to walk in the fullness. And how do we know what the truth is? What is our moral compass? What is our comp- compass for life? Okay, this needs to come way quicker, guys. The Bible, the Word of God. Amen? Do not, do not wonder about that. Okay, so I want to start today with a very interesting excerpt that I found in the Bible that I have. I've got a, I've got a New King James translation, and in front of every book of the Bible, it has a short um, description. It talks about the history, a little bit about the focus of the book, and understanding something about it. It's not very long, but it's quite informative. And God has been putting... Two Corinthians on my heart for, for weeks now, and he spoke to me about it when I, we, we were in Israel, and it's just been something that's been on my heart for quite a while, and I haven't been sure exactly what, what he wants, and then it all came together this week. And then I read again the excerpt in the Bible that I have in front of two Corinthians, and I want to read it to you today. It says, since Paul's first letter, in other words, the first, the first Corinthians, since his first letter, the Corinthian church had been swayed by false teachers who stirred the people against Paul. They, they claimed that Paul was fickle, that he was proud, that he was unimpressive in appearance and speech, that he was dishonest and unqualified as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul sent Titus to Corinth to deal with these difficulties and upon his return rejoiced to hear of the Corinthians' change of heart. Paul wrote this letter to express his thanksgiving for the repentant majority and to appeal to the rebellious minority to accept his authority. Throughout the book, he defends his conduct, his character, and his calling as an apostle of Jesus Christ. So when we read 2 Corinthians, we need to know that this is where Paul was writing from. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Some people will understand that more than others, but it's very interesting that this is on our hearts and and that God has brought us up. Now in chapter 1 and 2 of the letter, And and the beginning of chapter 3, Paul does an introduction. He explains some things about travel plans and then goes into defending and convincing as mentioned above. Now, from my understanding, he tries to make it plain to them that he and those with him are not, while they are preaching the gospel and building churches and discipling people, they are not trying to blow their own horn and doing any of the preaching and teaching Um, and the letter writing for their own gain or for their own agenda. They really are purely doing it because 
God has told them to do it and they are sharing the gospel. Paul is reiterating this. He's trying to get them to understand this. Have you ever spoken to someone to explain your position and you can just see the disbelief and the distrust in their eyes? They're like, they're listening to you, but they don't hear you. Anyone ever had that? And then he tells them, the church of Corinth, we're now in chapter three, that they are the living epistle of Christ. He says to this church, you are a living epistle of Christ. That means a living letter, a living written letter. And he says they are written by the spirit of the living God. You are written by the spirit of the living God, he says to the church. Not on tablets of stone, referring obviously to the Ten Commandments, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. All right, now we're gonna pick it up in verse four of chapter three, and we can put that on the screen. He says, and we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves or think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. Everyone says spirit. Okay, now say it like you're not falling asleep. Spirit. I'm gonna count rather. One, two, three. Much better. Oh my word. Not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Religious man-made rules and human opinion Human opinion expectations kill, but the spirit of the living God gives life. He continues, he says, but if the ministry of death, can you hear what he calls the stone tablets? He says, it's if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious. All right, are you following? If the ministry of death was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance. Now, if you don't know the story, in the Old Testament, there was a moment where God revealed himself to Moses, and from that moment, Moses' face shone brightly. But over time, it shone less and less and less. And he started to cover it up so that the people won't know that it was fading away. Now, he could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which, was glo- which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the Spirit, sorry, for if the ministry of condemnation, okay, so now he's called it the ministry of death, and now he's calling it the ministry of condemnation. If the ministry of condemnation had glory, Contrasting, he says, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. What does that mean? In comparison, the glory of the old covenant don't even have glory when you compare it to the righteousness of the new covenant. Can you see that? That's amazing. 
For what for if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, by now you should know how important this word is. Since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Because the veil is taken away in Christ. Everyone says, in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, when the Torah is read, when the first five books of the Bible is read, a veil lies on their heart. How many of you know that if a veil is lying on our heart and someone wants to write on that heart of flesh, but there's something in the way, they cannot write on the heart of flesh. Nevertheless, When one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. How powerful is the Word of God? I love reading this. This is so good. Some of you don't realize it yet, but it's really good. You can tell your face you're having a great time because you're hearing truth. You're hearing the Word of God. I don't know about you guys, but from, from my experience growing up in a, in a culture, a specific culture, that had a certain religion as a backbone, so to speak, of that culture, you, you can't help but develop the same veil that that culture has. Whatever culture you grow up in, you almost don't have a choice. You will have that culture as a veil over your eyes. Would you agree? The interesting thing is that the culture I grew up in, and I know that many of you grew up in, comes from a Christian Protestant line. It doesn't come from a Jewish line. It doesn't come from, it it broke away from the earliest form of religion that came out of what what Jesus actually preached. But then, and it started out well. and And it acknowledges that Christ is the Son of God who has come as the Messiah. The leaders read the same Bible that I just read to you. But somehow, over the course of the history of the church, what once was started from a place of spiritual liberty, it didn't take long for man-made rules, man-made systems, and man-made rituals to take preference, to to become as important as the Word of God, or in some cases, even more important than the Word of God. The very thing that Jesus came to minister to the Jewish nation, which was, he said to them, you honor God with your lips, but your hearts are far from him, has now become something that needs to be ministered to supposedly Christ-centered churches. I'm not here to criticize the church, not at all. I was there, I was part of the problem for a long time. 
And I'm not here to criticize a specific church or a tradition. It's not about that. The church is the bride of Christ and we need to always honor the church and I love the church. I love the church. I love the bride of Christ. But at the same time, we need to be aware of the pitfalls that come with people being in charge of something spiritual. As a new church plant, we also need to be careful not to let anything that we come up with become so important that it's more important than. Any culture we create can never trump the word of God. And we always have to be careful of that. However, I do believe that the key to us all having a Holy Spirit healing service today will have a lot to do with how effectively we can all recognize and renounce any cultural or religious veils that we might still carry. I can promise you that some of the stuff that you are trusting God for, that you are praying for, that you are calling out to God for is on the other side of you dying to your culture. Dying to the religion that you grew up in. And it's not about saying anyone is wrong. It's about having the veil lifted and turning to the Lord in the fullness of who He is and not what someone made up for Him to be. You know that... The the second commandment in the Ten Commandments says that you may not make any image and worship it other than God. Now, I ask you, if you make an image in your imagination of who you think God is, but it doesn't line up with Scripture, what did you do? You made an idol. You call it God. You say it's the God of the Bible. But if you don't worship the God of the Bible and the one that you made up agrees with everything you think, then it's not the God of the Bible. Someone once said that if the, if the God that you serve agrees with everything you say, then the God you serve is you. Paul says, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. How many of you want freedom? How many of you want liberty in the Spirit? How many of you actually understand what that freedom is? Yes, I want it. Do you know what you want? What is that freedom from? The ministry of the Spirit of God has and will have more glory than the old covenant. This is what Paul is saying. Now remember guys, Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was the Wifsian van die Pharisees. He knew things that most of them didn't even know. He knew the Torah backwards. He was so passionate about serving God and so sold out to serving his God that he made up in his heart that he was taught from a culture that he grew up in that he was killing Christians because they are coming against this God that I serve. And he had to have a culture shifting moment on the road to Damascus where the living God in the form of the son Jesus Christ said to him, why Saul are you persecuting me? And he, and he spoke to his, his God that he thought he was serving for the first time. And it changed everything. This Paul, this Pharisee of the Pharisees, who in one of his letters he says, everything that I've achieved 
where I come from, who I served under, the rabbi that I had, all the achievements I have, it's like dirty rags on the floor. It means nothing. He says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And that the old covenant, the one that he was defending, the one that he was standing for, is not as good as the new covenant. The entry point of the new covenant is stepping into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ of Nazareth by becoming born again by grace through faith, dying to self, being raised to new life in Jesus, and then through him receiving the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the Holy Spirit who dwells in us as a temple, a holy place, a sanctuary. That is where the liberty starts. Liberty from what? From sin, from eternal death, from eternal separation from God, from the bondage of this world. It's very quiet in this place. Where are all the charismats? To whatever extent we may still have religious and cultural veils is the extent to which we will not experience this true liberty that Paul speaks about. You can have degrees of veil. If you are not saved and you are trusting God for a miracle, the first miracle that I can help you with today is to become born again. That remains the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle is taking someone who's dead on their way to eternal damnation and saving them from that. Do you remember that Jesus said to his disciples, on this rock, Peter, I will build my church and the gates of death will not prevail against it. The gates of death will not prevail against the church. Does that mean the gates of hell, the gates of Hades is going to attack the church? Have you ever seen a gate attack anything? No, it means that the gates that are trying to keep dead people away from the church will not stand when the church comes to take the dead people into life. Did you know that? That's what you were called for. That's, that's the liberty that you receive is the ability to set others free through the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. How selfish are we? if we keep it for ourselves. How selfish are we and how clueless are we when we don't operate in the fullness of the authority and the power that God has made available through his son Jesus. What if, I want you to see this picture. Someone comes to you and says, here's a house, it's paid off, here are the keys, you have the keys to enter into this house and to live there. What will you do? Some of you will first check out the house. But most of us will go, oh my word, a free house. Yes, please, give me the keys. Jesus said, I give you the keys of heaven. Of heaven. And then he said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he said that just after he said that the church will take over, will bash through, will go and save people on the other side of the gates of Hades. 
So the unlocking, the loosing, the binding is a spiritual thing. But it all has to do with being a witness and saving people. Can you see that? (laughs) Some of you don't see it yet. It's okay. We'll get there. But I want you to know that the word of God is true. And if you read this and believe it and step out into this, you will see a life that you never thought was possible. I promise you. But the first miracle at this healing service, the first healing that can take place is raising some dead people. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm giving you the authority to, to heal the sick, cast out demons, and raise the dead. I think, this is just my opinion, I'm not making a theological point, but I believe he didn't just mean physical dead bodies that are raised to life. I believe he included in that people who are, are dead and condemned, heading for hell, that are saved. Because now they are alive. They used to be dead and now they are alive. Every time you have led someone to Christ, you raise someone from the dead. It's just my opinion. But it sits right with my spirit. (laughs) If you are a born again believer and you feel stuck, or you struggle with an emotional, mental, or physical scar or illness, I want to tell you, God is good. And he is still good. And he will always be good. He is still the healer. And he loves you and always will love you. And he will always be with you. I do believe that he can heal you from anything. I also believe that sometimes God's timing is not the same as ours. That said, I know that he has an appointment with us today. And that part of that appointment is for us all to take a moment and make sure that we do not carry any cultural or religious baggage, to make sure we are truly born again and walking as true temples of the Holy Spirit. It's a really big key to the breakthrough. You see, some people, one of the reasons I didn't want to call this a Holy Spirit healing service is because calling something that has so much baggage because of what some people have done with that term. And, and we have a, a whole bunch of people running after, chasing after experiences and not chasing after Jesus and the Holy Spirit and relationship. A whole bunch of people who say they are Christians who are hyped up and emotionally charged in a meeting does not change the world. Unless... It comes from a real authentic place of connection with the living God and that healing that takes place, that, that wonders and miracles that take place changes a life. That, that the fruit of that change is seen in their everyday life. Then yes. But if we are only chasing experiences, going from conference to conference, speaker to speaker, just to have another good feel, goosebumps moment, then we are missing the point. And then we have also made up a God that we are serving that doesn't exist. And we all, if we only get stuck in that, might hear the words someday, yeah, Lord, but I, I cast out demons in your name and I did this in your name and I had all these meetings and I went to all these conferences and then Jesus might say, depart from me. I do not know you. That word no is Ginesco. 
the Greek word for the same as the Hebrew word yada, which means to know intimately. Let's not run around like orphans, but let's move as sons and daughters of the living God. Amen? With the authority that he's given us. Today is also a moment where unrepentant sin, unforgiveness, and bitterness needs to come to be confessed, repented of, and stepped out of agreement with. Some of us need to forgive some people today. That's always the case. I can promise you 99% of the time, the stuff that you are struggling with is linked to unforgiveness. And unforgiveness that's left becomes bitterness. And bitterness that's, bitterness that's left becomes an issue in your heart. And the Bible says, if you do not forgive, God cannot forgive you. We sometimes hold our own miracles and breakthroughs back by simply being disobedient. And today, we can come before God with repentant hearts and say, Lord, forgive me of my unforgiveness. Forgive me of my offenses. Forgive me of everything I'm holding against anyone. Because on the other side of forgiveness, there's breakthrough. You see, the freedom in the Spirit of God comes when we surrender. It comes when we wave a white flag over our decisions, over our choices, and we completely relinquish our independence to God. We live in a Western world where individualistic living that has all to do with my independence, what I want, when I want it, has crept into how we think we live with God. And it cannot live together. The Bible says, if you are in Christ, you have died to self. You no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in you. You have the mind of Christ. If you're not thinking like Christ, if you find yourself that you're not thinking like Christ, you need to heed the gospel uh, and the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians and said, set your mind on things above, for you died. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're going to see this here as well. He says, I'm going to repeat this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Can we put that up? It's the last part of that um, verses I read. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, listen to this, are being transformed. Into what? The same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay, now what does this mean? Can you hear the process? Can you hear that there's a process? Anyone? You are being transformed. Can you hear the process? Good. Must I give you an English lesson? Being transformed is the continuous tense. All right? It is similar to Romans 12, as I said before. He makes the statement about liberty that the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. He makes that statement. Then he says, but. Huh? Not and. He says, but. What does a but entail? It, it juxtaposes two ideas, all right? So it says, but. And then he says, we all. We all who believe with unveiled face, in other words, the religious, the cultural impediments have been removed. 
we behold, we see the glory of the Lord. As we behold the glory of the Lord, in other words, as we keep our eyes on God, as we keep our eyes on this glorious Lord that we serve, we will be transformed into the same image of the glory of the Lord, from glory to glory, by the Spirit of God. Can you see that the Spirit is the one who helps us as we behold the God, this glorious Lord of ours, as we behold Him as if we are looking into a mirror. Can you see that from the scripture? He says, as if you're looking into a mirror. The more you stare into this mirror that looks like God, by the working of His Spirit inside of you, you will start to be transformed to be more like Him. Do you see that? I'm so glad five of you are excited about this. There's a powerful, life-changing process that starts and continues as we choose to focus on, on our Lord and His glory. He makes the statement about liberty and then the next sentence, oh, sorry, I've said that already. <laughs> I believe that the but we all implies that we need to know that even though there's freedom in the Spirit of God, there is freedom. He says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And the fact that he says, but we all, with unveiled face, are, are transforming. It means that although the first thing that happens is instantaneous, there's liberty, it implies that there is a process of sanctification. The moment we give our lives to Christ, yes, we are sanctified. We are justified. We are heading for heaven. But... That's just the beginning. Now there's a process that starts that as we behold God, we become more like Him. The freedom Paul speaks of is to become more and more like the Lord. Remember, the Word also teaches us, be holy as our God is holy. Be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. Do you know those scriptures? Do you believe those scriptures? Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Do you believe that Jesus said that to the church? Do you believe that that's for you? All right, so why do you not really believe it? <laughs> it's a process. It is a process. But if we do not believe that holiness according to God is possible, we will not even start the journey to holiness. Do you think Jesus will hold out a carrot of being holy only for us to never get there? Or do you think he, he says, be holy as I am holy because he has given us everything we need to do that? I believe the latter is true. And he is saying it right here, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from sin, death, decay. If we are free of that, we are holy. That is true freedom, is walking in the holiness that God gave us through His Son, Jesus Christ, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live holy lives. You see, some of you still don't get how amazing this is, because you think it's much more amazing if I can get a healing from my headache, headache today, or my migraine, or my backache, or my leg, that'll be amazing. But I'm telling you, 
that by the Spirit of the Lord, you can walk in absolute freedom, which means a, a walk of holiness on this earth right now. And you go, that's nice. But I'm actually here for my miracle. This is the miracle. If you walk in this, you will see more miracles than you can count. <laughs> Woo. Thank you for the pity clap. I appreciate that. It's like, shame, Heinz, come and clap with us, Anna. They're not full as he. Okay, I want to show you how what he just said, how this emboldens Paul and how he explains the effect this had on his ministry and what we should learn from this. We're going to continue with 2 Corinthians 4. All right, listen how it starts. Now remember, when this letter was written, it did not have chapters and verses. It was a continuous thought. So you actually have to hear that final thing that says, and we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, since we have this ministry, what ministry is that? The ministry of the freedom of the Spirit of the Lord. We have this, we have this ministry. As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. It gives them confidence. But... We have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has Blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves. We don't talk about ourselves. We don't preach for our, for our own agenda. But Christ Jesus the Lord, that is who we preach. And, for, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Sure. In the context, Paul is defending the purity of their intentions to minister the gospel without deceit or ulterior motives. Can you see that? He has just told them that the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. That this freedom in the Spirit is a process whereby we transform as we behold the glory of the Lord. Then he says, therefore, since we have this ministry, the ministry of the Spirit of the Lord, the ministry of true freedom, we do not lose heart. We will keep going. Mission first. And what does this mission look like? We renounce the hidden things of shame. We do not use the word of God in a wrong or a deceitful or a manipulative way. And we show the truth of the word of God in the sight of God. For Paul and his team to deliver the pure gospel, they had to make a choice to renounce all hidden things of shame 
when it comes to communicating the word and to stick only to the truth and bring that across. They had to say, we will not do what others are doing. We will not use these words of God out of context for our own gain. We will not use it to manipulate people. We will not use it in any way or form for us to, be in, to benefit. Only Christ must benefit. Only the kingdom must benefit. I think as well that this can include that each one of them had to deal with their own shame, their own guilt, and their own issues so that they don't preach, they don't share from a broken place. Can you see that? What happens when we do not let the things in the dark stay there, but we expose them? What happens when you expose the things that are in the dark, the shameful hidden things? They lose their power. The hidden things loses their power when it is exposed to the light. When shameful things and lies have been exposed, we can bring the truth of God's word and put that in place of the shame and the lies, and this is what brings true freedom, true liberty. It's exposing the lies, bringing the truth of God's word, and then there's freedom. Can you see that? Yo, how many of you have been set free because you just, you just got that? You, you had Holy Spirit minister to you and say, you haven't forgiven that person. You still sit with this hurt. You haven't dealt with that thing. Repent it today and be set free. Anyone? I, I have many like that. Many, many, many testimonies of how God has set me free. And this, the, Paul is talking about their ministry, but the principle is the same. Even in the way that Paul explains how they bring the gospel, we see a principle of how the gospel should be received by us all. The gospel will shine a light into the deepest, darkest parts of you where there is shame, where there's guilt, where there's sin, where there's unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, self-hatred, and all the other nasty stuff that can be there. You can fill in the blank. But if we allow the light of God to shine. Those things can be exposed and then the truth can replace it. But if we deny the light, he goes on to say, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. He's saying our gospel is the pure gospel. If someone doesn't want to see the truth, they will be veiled from the gospel. And they, those people, their minds, uh, sorry, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, they have been blinded by Satan, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Can you hear that there's a tactic of the enemy? The enemy wants to keep you in a place of being veiled, lest the light of God shines. Can you see that? So, so Paul is revealing that there's a plan of the enemy to veil people's eyes and, to, eyes and to keep it veiled so that the light of Jesus Christ cannot shine, so that they cannot be set free. But let us be people today that let this happen. The last part of that scripture says, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord uh, of God in the face of Jesus Christ the face of Jesus Christ behold the glory of the Lord as we behold 
the glory of the Lord. As if we're looking into a mirror, we are being transformed from glory to glory. That is the liberty that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? Let the light of God, the light of Jesus, the truth of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit shine in your heart today. Let it uncover the things that you're ashamed of. Let it uncover the, the things you feel guilty about, the stuff you're holding on to, the unforgiveness and the bitterness. Let his light shine on all of it today. Let his Holy Spirit come. Let his light shine. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church podcast, Message of the Week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.